It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Y'all feeling that? That that was pretty good. I, I know I sound like an old man when I say this, but this year has seriously flown right on by. How in the heck are we all ready to December? Uh, Well, by the way, if you were not here last week, uh, we kicked off a brand new series titled Names. And and here's what we started unpacking. Every name, whether you've ever put this together or not, it it establishes both an identity and a purpose. For for example, my my children, uh, they call me Dada or Daddy. My my identity is that of a father, a protector, a provider in their life. My, My purpose is to raise them in a way that it all points back to their heavenly father, that it all points back to their eternal dad. That names are important. Names tell a story. And our hope is that during this Christmas season, as we explore just a handful of the names of Jesus himself, for those of you that are new to all this, for those of you that are just beginning to explore, it'll cause you to lean in even more. It'll cause you to be even more interested in him. And for those of you that have already put your faith, your trust in Jesus, it will cause you to fall even more in love with him. And the four names that we're going to be exploring throughout this series, then culminating at our Christmas services, which you should definitely be there for, uh, they come from a book that we find uh, in the Old Testament, which is kind of that first half of the Bible, and specifically within a text that is titled Isaiah. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Isaiah, he was a prophet, which in Old Testament times meant that he was someone who actually spoke on behalf of God. Oftentimes, in a predictive manner, something that we now refer to as a prophecy, And as we reminded you last week, I want you to keep in mind that these words were uttered, these words were recorded for us some seven to 800 years before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth. So here we jump into Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. This is all such a clear description and so clearly talking about Jesus himself. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So so last week, we we rewound a couple of verses earlier and we explored a theme that we see all throughout scripture, that that Jesus is quite literally the light. And and it provides a base for much of what we're gonna be talking about for the rest of this month. And so if you weren't here last week, make sure you go back and you catch yourself up. But but today, we're gonna be focusing on the first of the names here in this prophecy from Isaiah. These two words here, wonderful counselor. Wonderful, when you think about it, It's a word that's pretty common, uh, but it's kind of interesting. We don't really use it that often. It's not a word that we use really on a regular basis. We opt instead for words like awesome or or amazing or incredible, Uh, but we all certainly understand the connotation. This word's used to describe something or someone that is pleasant, lovely, or even maybe the least bit likable. For for instance, just this last week on Thanksgiving, uh, my aunt had an opportunity to finally meet my youngest child, uh, Oakley, for the first time. She was supposed to have met him last year, but obviously COVID and all that stuff. So here he is, you know, over two years old, and she's finally coming face to face with this little boy. And the words that came out of her mouth in that moment were, oh, Shay, isn't he wonderful? You know, now now that you mention it, yeah, he is. He's pretty great. He's pretty wonderful. See, when she used that word combined with her gentle, kind tone, it it definitely packed more of a punch than a more regularly used word like great or, or awesome. But even the word wonderful doesn't really capture what God was originally intending when he gave these words to the prophet Isaiah. In fact, a more accurate, a more literal translation would yield the word incomprehensible. See, see, Isaiah is foreshadowing that this coming Messiah, whom we now know to be Jesus, he's going to cause the people to be full of wonder. 
It's so much weightier than just the word wonderful. Jesus is incomprehensible. He's wonderful in a way that is is boggling to the mind. Now, because this word carries such a heavy connotation, I can guarantee you that the original audience, that they would have sort of rolled their eyes at Isaiah saying this. They would have thought that he was exaggerating to make a point. I want to show you something real quick. Uh, Y'all ever had these things before? I mean, they're insane. They might legitimately be, and I'm not just saying this, they might be the best snack food on the planet. I don't know what they're doing in the factory where they make these things, but I'm convinced like cocaine might be involved in some way. That They are so good. I have recommended Dots pretzels to quite a few people. And I know I can be a pretty passionate guy, maybe even have a propensity to overstate things from time to time, that people have probably rolled their eyes as I've endorsed these. They've probably thought to themselves, well, Shay, there's no way that they can be that good. I mean, he's clearly overselling these bad boys. But then they try them. And there's kind of this universal look on people's faces that says like, oh, snap. Like those, those really are pretty dang good. Now, real quick, I'm going to connect this back to the name that we're exploring this morning, Wonderful Counselor. That original audience, that they would have thought that this was so overstated because of the power that that word packed, because it was so seldomly used. Most would have rolled their eyes and thought to themselves, there goes Isaiah again, he's just trying to make a point. And we touched on this last week. Here's yet another example of how fortunate, how lucky we are that we have the benefit of hindsight. See, to that original audience, these were just overstated, exaggerated words because they didn't know what we just now know, what we just assume. The Messiah was this person that was talked about quite a bit in Jewish circles, but by this point, many had lost faith that this would actually be someone who would come to fruition. It was a Jewish fairy tale, empty words from prophets like Isaiah. But we now know that these words absolutely came to pass, that the Messiah is not just some hopeful piece of Jewish literature, but indeed a real person who entered into this world some 2,000 years ago in a manger. The Messiah has a name. He's Jesus. And what once sounded so absurd, come on, an incomprehensible counselor that would leave us full of wonder, well, that kind of happened. Didn't he sort of demonstrate this total departure from what we thought was possible during his time on earth? And we just look at a little bit of Jesus's life. I mean, the whole virgin birth thing, like he came into this world through an immaculate conception. Many different occasions, people that have been blind their entire lives, suddenly Jesus is like rubbing mud on their eyes and they can see with perfect 20-20 vision. The, the, the lame would walk. People that had never been able to use their legs suddenly found themselves with just a word from Jesus on their feet, freely walking around. He would dine with notorious sinners people that the religious had completely cast to the side and said, you're not even worthy of our time. Jesus would would spend time with them. He would talk with them. He made it a very clear point to say, hey, I did not come for those who already think they have this whole life thing figured out. I've come for those that that, that know that they are sinners. He he would feed thousands just a couple of weeks ago. we, We talked about the event where Jesus with just two fish and five loaves of bread literally fed thousands of people. He, he would teach the masses, in some occasions teaching crowds of over 20,000 people. He, he was such a captivating teacher, such an incredible communicator. People were just latched onto his words. He was, of course, without sin. 
I mean, I don't know about you. I have a hard time making it a day without sinning. He, he made it an entire life without ever stumbling, without ever doing something that he knew was wrong. He, he of course, died for you and for me, took the collective weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, even though that was a death that was owed to us. He took it on his shoulders so that we might have the opportunity to experience new life. And then, of course, last but definitely not least, he conquered death after being put into a grave. Three days later, he came waltzing out, conquering death and conquering all of our collective sin problem. Listen, if you're new to all this, you're just beginning to explore and maybe even a little bit skeptical. I'm not saying you have to believe and subscribe to every single word I just said. You might look at things like the virgin birth and be like, seriously, you still believe that? In fact, one of the things that we often say around here is you can belong before you believe. Just keep coming back, keep exploring. Keep moving closer to God, and it's a promise he gives us. He will continue to move closer to you. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Nobody, nobody denies all of this. See, even the most staunch atheists acknowledge some of this stuff because it's impossible to dismiss all of this while simultaneously coming to grips with the reality that a guy who only spent about three years spreading what we now refer to as Christianity ignited a movement that somehow lives on some 2,000 years later. For that to be true, some of this had to have actually occurred. And it kind of leads you to a place where you can't help but think, um, I, I don't think Isaiah was exaggerating at all. Jesus really was, well, incomprehensible. See, if that original Jewish audience would have known what we now just assume, what we so often take for granted, what we have recorded for us in this book called the Bible and has been further backed up by hundreds of other historical documents, an embarrassment of riches, as some scholars put it, well, they wouldn't have thought that Isaiah was overstating this at all. If anything, when you kind of look at Jesus' collective body of work, incomprehensible, that that maybe would have even felt a little, dare I say it, lacking, inadequate. He is indeed the wonderful counselor. Because of what I do for a living, and because we have so many young couples who are a part of this church, uh, being asked to officiate weddings is a pretty common thing for me. And, and one of the requirements that, that we put in front of all couples who, who want me or any other pastor at Grumlaw to marry them is that, that you must attend premarital counseling. We, we don't budge on this. It's not really open for debate. It's just a requirement. And, and I actually don't really do any premarital counseling myself. You, you want to know why? Ready for this? Because I'm not a counselor. It's not my area of expertise. We, we leave that to professionals who have gone to school for this, who exclusively do this for a living. Now, now, the reason that we make such a big deal of this is because we recognize the value for wise counsel as two people are preparing for marriage. In fact, many of you know this, 50% of American marriages, they end in divorce. And as a church, we don't want the marriages that come out of Grumlaw to be following that trend. And so in an effort to set up couples for success and hopefully avoid some of those common pitfalls that we see amongst young couples, we say, hey, it's a really good idea to spend some time with a professional who's going to provide some much needed counsel for your relationship. Beyond premarital counseling, we as a church, we hand out thousands of dollars every single year in the form of counseling scholarships for marriages that are on the rocks, for those that are struggling with depression, those facing addiction, grief counseling, and a whole lot more. Because counselors help to see what you don't. Counselors oftentimes help you to see what you can't. 
There's a book that we find in the Old Testament titled Proverbs, which is really just this collection of wisdom uh, for everyday living. And in the 19th chapter, the writer says, get all the advice and instruction you can, so you will be wise the rest of your life. See, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, you're smart enough to know that this is pretty sound advice. In fact, think back to some of the dumbest, most regretful decisions that you've ever made. Did you seek counsel or did you make that decision largely on your own? No, it was just kind of you and your good old brain packed between those ears on top of your shoulders, right? Uh, right out of college, I've shared this before, uh, the first vehicle I bought for myself. I had my first real job and I was going to go buy my first car that I was proud of. I purchased an Audi A4 Quattro. And, and it was interesting because I called a bunch of people that had had a similar vehicle or had that specific vehicle asking their advice, assuming that we were going to say, yeah, you need to buy that car. It's a really reliable vehicle. But what I found was the opposite. Every single person said, do not do that. That is a terrible idea. That thing is a money pit. You're going to regret purchasing that vehicle. Well, guess what? Because I was young and I knew everything, I did it anyway. And it turned out to be the dumbest financial decision that I would ever make. A lot of you, you've dated people where all the people around you whom you respect, they said to run, get away, break up with him, get away from her. She is the worst. But instead, you listened to you. And how'd that end up turning out? Conversely, I'd be willing to bet that some of your wisest decisions, the, the steps that you are most proud you took, it, it came on the heels of you seeking counsel from several people and then you actually listened. Taking that job, quitting that job, renting for a little longer, then buying that house, not the other one that you really couldn't afford but you just needed to have adopting, breaking up with him, saying no to those. Every single one of our lives has shown us this. You operate in a silo for long enough with just you calling all the shots and you will get you into some pretty precarious situations. The, the, the people, when you think about it, that you respect most in this world, that you look up to, that, that you want to be more like, I, I promise you they aren't necessarily the smartest people you know. They're simply the wisest. And you want to know where, where they get that wisdom from? That they surround themselves with wise people, wise counsel, and then they actually listen. That they act in accordance with said counsel. Back to our verse. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, through Isaiah, is telling the people, is telling us that this coming Messiah, whom we now know to be Jesus, he, he is going to be that wonderful counselor that you all, that, that we all desperately need in our lives. As mentioned last week, God didn't just kind of arbitrarily pull these four names out of a hat, He, he was very intentional. Again, every single name conveys an identity and a purpose. Each is a descriptor of God's character. Now, to give us just a little bit of context, one of the problems that the Israelites were regularly creating for themselves, and it certainly wasn't going unnoticed by God, it was causing him to rip his hair out, was not only relying on their own wisdom, not seeking his counsel, which as just discussed, eventually gets you into some hot water, but, but they were also seeking counsel from the wrong places from the wrong people, from the wrong who's. They, they, they were asking the Egyptians for help, literally the people who had enslaved them for hundreds of years. They, they were consulting mediums. They were consulting idols. So, so there wasn't necessarily a shortage of counsel. They were just going to the wrong places. 
come on, for some of you, it's not that you're not seeking counsel. It's that you're going to the wrong people. Is you're going to the wrong sources. Uh, somebody recently came to me uh, and, and they were asking for some financial advice. They were specifically asking, hey, will you sit down with me uh, and help me out with a budget? Uh, I've got myself into a pretty bad financial situation and I, I need help getting out of this corner. I said, no problem. So they came over to my house and uh, we sat down there for a couple of hours and we really broke down all the numbers, looked at the checking account, savings account, credit cards, all that stuff. And by the end of it, we had this pretty you know, quick snapshot, but uh, they were in a pretty bad position. They, they had backed themselves into a pretty terrible corner financially. And me, trying not to pile it on, I'm not trying to, not trying to make them feel even worse about it. I threw out a co comment rather haphazardly. I'm like, well, the thing is, you just didn't know any better. I'm so sorry there was nobody giving you like any advice, nobody offering you any counsel. And, and she kind of quickly interrupted me. She's like, no, no, I, I was actually getting advice from people, which caused my ears to perk up. I'm like, well, well from who? And she went on to say, well, yeah, like most of these decisions, my mom was saying that this was the right thing to do. Her, her mom, who is, oh, by the way, still paying off her mortgage at over 70 years old, still leases a car for over $500 a month, still very much lives paycheck to paycheck. It's advice, it's counsel, it's just the wrong counsel. You know what? I, I, I don't look at that and say, what were you thinking? Because we all do this sometimes. The, the reality is, is oftentimes we're going to someone not to really get their advice. No, we're just looking for someone to affirm what we are already pretty confident is an idiotic decision so that we have a fallback plan. We have somebody else to blame when it all goes to hell. The, the wisest people, they don't surround themselves with yes men, that they surround themselves with people whom they respect, who are going to be painfully honest even when they are being met with your staunch enthusiasm. They're not looking to make you happy. That they're helping you to avoid future disasters. That they're not a bunch of yes men looking to affirm all your nearsighted ideas. They're people that actually have your best interest in mind. And don't miss this. They will allow your feelings to get hurt to avoid future harm. So, I really got to land this plane. The Israelites, they're gathering all this counsel from themselves, relying on their own wisdom as well as only enabling their boneheaded behavior by gathering further counsel and affirmation from foolhardy sources. So God declares, my son, the Messiah, Jesus, he is the wonderful. You can't even get your heads around my wisdom counselor that y'all need. Jesus is the wonderful counselor you need. I need. We all need. Come on. I don't, I don't think you'd be watching right now if you were so arrogant to think, I completely have this life thing figured out. I am completely content with where my decision-making has gotten me to this point. Seriously, if that was the case, I don't think there's a chance you turn this on today. And, and as hard, as, as humbling as it is to admit, and come on, I totally get this. As hard as it is to admit that left to your own devices, left to your brain, left to your counsel, you sort of exclusively screw things up, is, isn't it also sort of relieving to recognize you're not alone, that we kind of all fall into that trap? And more than that, isn't it pretty incredible? Isn't it pretty amazing? Isn't it pretty great? Or <laughs> I could say it another way, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? even incomprehensible, that, that, that despite our hard-headedness, despite our stubbornness, our arrogance, the God of the universe looked down and 
rather than walking away, which he could have just as easily done, rather than saying, you know what, you guys screwed this up, you figure it out. He instead gave us the very thing that we deserved the least. He gave us his son, our savior, our wonderful counselor, to to rescue us from, from us, from ourselves. Now really think about that. God, rather than using his excellence of character and wisdom to only widen the divide between us and him, he instead leveraged it for our benefit. That's incomprehensible because nobody else behaves like that except God because he loves you that much because he so desperately wants what is best for you because and maybe other people have led you to believe otherwise but I promise you this is true because he hates watching you fail. He hates watching us continually being undone by our own stupid decisions. He wants and he longs to be that wonderful counselor to you. See, back when Isaiah was delivering these words, people had to jump through a bunch of religious red tape to to get to God. And that's really like the understatement of the year. There were actually 613 laws within the Jewish scriptures that they had to follow to a T. And, And when God did speak, he only did so to a handful of select people, people that you maybe have heard of before, like Moses and Abraham and prophets like the ones we're exploring, like Isaiah. But a couple thousand years ago, when our Savior was hand-delivered to us in a manger, when God Almighty became flesh and dwelt among us, he took that old way of doing things, all that religion, and he wadded it up into a ball and he threw it in the trash. He said, we're done with all of that. Now, because of what I have done for you, has nothing to do with you or what you've done for me, But because of what I have done for you, you can have access directly to me. You can approach me directly. You have the wonderful counselor available at your disposal. And as we wrap this up this morning, we hear from that wonderful counselor primarily through two avenues. One is is his word, this this book that, that we call the Bible. And specifically in Hebrews chapter 4, it's a letter that we have in the New Testament. The writer says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not an old book. It's a timeless book. I'm going to keep reminding us of this. It doesn't tell us something that happened. It tells us what always happens. I can't speak for all of you, but my brain, it seems to constantly be on. Constantly thoughts and voices that are running through my head. And without God's word, without the wonderful counselor constantly speaking to me through his word, how in the world are you supposed to discern what is true, what is right, what is wise, and what's just another stupid thought that pops into your head? Y'all, the gift that is the Bible, we take this for granted. It is for you. And my challenge to you this morning, if you have never picked that thing up and consistently read it for yourself, start today. He he has preserved this text, his word, literally his word. It's not an accident, it's called that. He has preserved this thing for our benefit. And and again, if you're watching and you're kind of skeptical, and again, you maybe have had some bad experiences in church in the past, but my challenge to you would just begin to read a a proverb a day, that, that book of wisdom, 
That, that, that book of advice just for everyday living. Just start reading a proverb a day and watch how it begins to transform your thoughts. Now, if you're watching right now and you don't have a Bible, you're like, I don't even know where I can get one of those things. I would invite you to download the version. It is 100% free, has all these different translations, all these different Bible reading plans. But I'm telling you, you cannot afford to go another day without allowing this text to begin to infiltrate your life. Don't rely on showing up or watching this on Sunday mornings for your weekly dose of scripture. No, 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 no. Make this a daily habit where you are diving into his word. And then secondly, we hear from this wonderful counselor through his voice. See, when Jesus came down to earth, he said the old way of doing things, all the religiosity, all the rules, he's like, it's over. But because of the redemptive work of Jesus, we can now approach God directly. And for whatever reason, we don't talk about this as much, but we can also hear from him directly. In January, I'm really excited about this. We're going to be kicking off a series that's going to be focusing for six weeks uh, all about the Holy Spirit. And, and I promise you then we're going to learn a lot more about that. So this is just a bit of a teaser. But when Jesus left this earth, he actually said it was going to be better. Now, now I want you to think for a second how preposterous that would have sounded to the disciples, these 12 guys who were literally spending time with Jesus in the flesh. But what Jesus was making the point, he's like, okay, hey, listen, while I am here on this earth, my influence is limited to the people who are immediately surrounding me. But when I leave, I am going to send the Holy Spirit who is able to dwell amongst every follower of Jesus. Hearing from God, it's no longer something reserved for just a couple of people like Isaiah, but for every single person who puts their trust in Jesus. James, who is actually the brother of Jesus. So imagine what that guy saw. Imagine what he heard. He he pens these words for us. He says, if anyone longs to be wise, and I think we all want that, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. It's a promise. He he won't see your lack of wisdom. How good a news is this? He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, which is so often what the world throws our way, but he he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. You know, again, I'll speak for myself. It is absolutely terrifying for me to think of going through life without hearing God's voice directly. And I'm telling you, he wants to speak to you. He, He longs to be that wonderful counselor. And so following that that, that same pattern that we saw with that first point, make that daily time with Jesus a priority. We're never going to stop beating on this door. Where where the first thing that you do every single day is that daily encounter where you're intentionally carving out time to read his word, to allow it to speak to you. But then you're giving time in in your day right there at the the beginning of the day. I think it's so important. At the beginning of the day, you're sharing honest feelings with him, something we call prayer, and then something that I will admit that is really hard for me. You're spending time just listening. Listening to the small, still voice of God that I promise still wants to speak to you. And so in closing, I want to challenge all of us to begin praying this simple prayer every day. God, I believe you are the wonderful counselor. Help me to hear your voice more clearly. God, I believe you're the wonderful counselor. I believe that what your word says is true, that you want to be that voice in my life. So please, as you have promised, help me to hear your voice more clearly. Church, I I think that this should come as an encouragement to all of us. Because none of us have been asked, none of us have been called to navigate this life on our own. 
Too many of us, we're trying to operate in our own power, in our own wisdom, and we are suffering the consequences accordingly. But fortunately for us, you don't have to keep relying on you and continue facing the disappointment of being let down by you. Which is precisely why, the, again, the author of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. That is a foolish pursuit. You will keep letting you down. So instead, seek his will in all you do because he is the wonderful counselor and he will show you which path to take. These aren't empty words in some old book. It's a promise in a timeless book from the God who gave his life for you.